0: Should I do a warm-up question? All right, warm-up question. Roll your shoulders, give yourself a high-five, stretch your ears, open your eyes wide, and take a deep breath. Um, Let's see. Personal inventory question. Personal inventory. Do you spend more time dejected or excited? Take a minute and think about it. Do you spend more time dejected or excited in life? I'll give you eight seconds to be brilliant. Dejected? Excited? Do you spend, slightly different questions, slightly different, do you spend more energy on dejection or excitement? Well, it's interesting. My wife, who is like Miss Excitement, she's married to me. Miss Excitement says she spends more energy being dejected. That's interesting. Yeah, because it, it takes more energy to be dejected. Feel okay? All right, all right. Let's let's do let's do an exercise then, you know, because you know, faith is is not just what you believe; it's the attitude and the approach that you take to belief, right? It's what you do with what you believe. So let's practice. Everybody, uh, for five seconds, practice being dejected. I want to see it in your body posture. Okay, so we're gonna be dejected on three. Okay, one, two, three, dejection. Evan is actually weeping. All right, one, two, three, excited. I didn't say anything about vocalizations. I said body posture, That's what I said. I gotta get through this whole sermon, just back off a little bit. Everybody, dejected. Try to get it into your heart. Try to feel it, try to feel it into your stomach. Try to feel it in your stomach. Trust me, people. Dejection, feel what it feels like. Oh no, not again. Another sleepless night, it's not working. Pop, excitement. Harder harder to make the transition? No, Barb's like, I got it. I'm a veteran of the wars. I know, I know how to do this. All right, we got, we've got to finish with a little excitement. Ready? Go! Hit it up. I feel it here. I feel it right here. That's where I carry it. Um, here, here's here's one that I think is related. Everybody, everybody, look down. Be a, be a downlooker. You know what I mean. Now, everybody, look me in the eye. Sit up and look me in the eye. Feel different? I was thinking this morning about the story of Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are walking through the streets of Jerusalem and there's a beggar there. Um, you ever seen an institutional beggar? They don't look. They just kind of do this, right? Because they, they're, they're downcast, right? And that's, kinda, that's, that's how they make their living, you know? They may have... Reasons behind it as well, of course. And Peter looks at him and says, uh, Peter and John look straight at him, right? Met his eyes, and then they could do the miracle. Look straight ahead. You know, there's something about that, right? There's something about that. All attitude. All right, consider yourselves warmed up. Well done. My, uh, my objection <clears throat> to uh, the, I don't know, it's almost two years of COVID response that we have been doing collectively as a country, as a world. <clears throat> well, I have a couple objections to it. One, it has seemed inappropriately politicized to me at different times. Am I crazy, right? You know, pe- like, you, people get into camps, right? And then it becomes about your politics instead of just, like, you know, solving a problem and helping each other. And I hate that. I hate that. I hate it. No matter what side you're on, I hate it. Um, and I, my impression has been that largely, culturally, socially, um, it has been more fear-based instead of faith-based, right? Now, there's, there's a reason to be afraid of a virus that could theoretically kill you and, and may well kill people who have physical vulnerabilities, right? And there's a reason to be fearful, but I think in some way that means there's even more reason to be f- filled with faith, right? Are you with me? Faith is the best way to manage fearful things. Does that make sense? And when I kind of look at how the world has done COVID, it's hard for me to put my finger on what the faith part of it was. You know, lots of responses. Some of them seem you know perfectly reasonable. You know, you could understand the reasoning behind it. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, okay, which part did we do in faith? How did faith influence this great struggle that we've been in as a society? And I don't have a good answer for that. I have a good answer personally, you know, and so you have heard me say, those of you who have been around Blue Water uh, during this past couple of years, you've heard me say, like, just don't give in to the fear. Like, every once in a while I've said that. People have uh, have literally gotten mad at me for saying it and left the church as a result because fear is what kind of protects us. Fear is prudence, fear is responsibility, right? yeah it's a little complicated right i think fear is prudence and fee- uh, excuse me faith is prudence and faith is responsibility and faith is clarifying and super empowering and helpful as well so that's my gripe i'm not saying that this was wrong or that was wrong or that was right and you know i, I i'm just saying like i've had a fine to- hard time kind of getting people into the faith stream uh, during this Uh, It was a a viral epidemic, but it was also kind of a fear epidemic. And then, of course, there have been other factors culturally, socially over the past two years that I think have contributed to fear and anger and accusation. And they all go together into a conflagration of fear as a a certain point. There have been lots of excuses to be afraid, right? Like, you look around the world today, easy to find excuses to be afraid, easy. Easy. Have you found excuses to be filled with faith? Have you found excuses for faith at least equally as much? (laughs) Good commentary. (laughs) It's like, oh, have you ever, have you even heard anybody talk about that, you know, in media and stuff like that? What are the reasons to be filled with faith right now? Because I think faith is is the best way to meet uh, fearful things. All right. So uh, this was like last week, maybe maybe a little before now, because um, I, I read everything that I can just um, because I'm an inquisitive mind, but I also think it's part of my shepherdly responsibilities to stay on top of things. So I read what was, it was interesting, ultimately kind of a disturbing, frustrating, I don't know, study that was published Uh, at the end of January, by John Hopkins University, one of the leading medical universities in in the world, really, is published in their studies, uh, their journal, Studies in Applied Economics. Um, And it was a study written by researchers from Denmark, Sweden, and the United States. So it was a big international effort. And it was a meta-study. What they did is that they studied other studies that had been done around the world, like literally dozens of them that showed the efficacy of our lockdown, our COVID response procedures, you know, all the shutdowns, the masks, the social distancing, all of that stuff, everything except the vaccines. Um, So nobody get mad at me and might write me emails about anything to do with vaccines. This is not, this like everything that we did to kind of engineer society during the past two years And they did a meta-study, they collected a bunch of other studies because that's the best way to get the best data, right? Instead of studying like 100 cases, you study literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of cases from around the world. Uh, And they determined, after careful analysis, that everything that we have done, at least in Europe and North America, which is where the best data are available, everything that we have done in terms of COVID lockdown procedures has reduced the COVID mortality rate by 0.2 0.2 percent right it doesn't include pharmaceuticals and medical care, okay so but just all this stuff that we did to separate and to be kind of careful beyond that, and they do that by like taking infection rates and projecting them and modeling them and stuff like that. so I think it's probably pretty reliable figures I, I'm no expert, I could maybe tweak a few things, but um, and uh, then this study goes on, because it's a study of applied economics. The study goes on to evaluate the cost of all the shutdowns uh, in terms of society, and there'd be financial costs and inflation and food shortages and l- large-scale starvation in different places on Earth, uh, huge uptick in suicide rates and violence and addiction rates and stuff like that. And they determined that, like the lockdowns probably net effect more deaths. Then more lives saved, right? Um, so that kind of that disturbs me, and I'm not trying to make a political statement here. I'm trying to make a spiritual statement here, okay? So t- nobody get mad at me, because there are still issues out there, you know? There are medical issues, there are still people that for various reasons are at risk, there's like the burden on our healthcare system, all of that stuff is true, and I'm not making commentary about that. I'm making a spiritual comment, which is, I think we let fear run away. And I don't think we stoked faith nearly enough. And the result of doing that is always lethal in one way or another. It's always destruction in one way or another. Right? So that's my point. It's just a spiritual point, so don't, don't freak out. And so many people have left the community, not because I have disagreed with their position, but because I have not agreed strongly enough. <laughs> with their position, and I don't mean to complain about that. I mean, please, just give us all a break, and let's stick together in grace and love, as opposed to separating in fear. Um, Remember in the early days, when it used to be about flattening the curve? Right? Which is, the talking points used to be everybody's gonna get it eventually, but let's slow it down enough so that we don't overwhelm our healthcare system. And then it became about eliminating the threat entirely. Right? We let fear run away with us. You know, I think we did flatten the curve. But at the end of this, our healthcare system is still quite burdened. Like, we might be doing things the wrong way, and that's all I'm saying. Um, An alternative response might have been a little more. I might have made more space for grace and generosity and love. Like, maybe we should have just rallied around people who were particularly vulnerable, because they were easy to identify. And just out of the goodness of our hearts and a generosity and carefulness and maturity protected them, and then gone on with the rest of life in a way that kept things productive and healthy for, let's say, our young people, our teenagers, who we have robbed of a normal life, you know? And, and again, no specific points I'm making, but I think, I think we have let fear run away. And I don't think we have exercised faith enough, generally speaking. All right, now to make that today in church, certainly not because church needs to be a political place, but because church needs to be a place where we really value faith in the face of fear, where we really value faith in the face of desperation, or faith in the face of anger, whatever it is, whatever it is. You know, faith is is what we do, right? And we can't lose track of it because fear seems more appropriate in this instance, or desperation seems more appropriate in this instance, or anger seems more appropriate in this instance. It's all got to be done in faith, right? So, uh, and there's a lot there, and maybe I said something in there that you could find a reason to be upset with. Be upset with me, but be upset with me in faith, <laughs> right? <laughs> and love and generosity and grace. You know, I'm not trying to pick any fights or say that this person made a mistake or that group or anything like that. I'm just saying, hey, faith is good, too. And that seems the least that I could say. Um, there have been studies done on <clears throat> whether confidence or fear is more contagious in large crowds. Which do you think it is? Fear. fear. yeah, it's fear. Uh, because it's a herd instinct, right? I mean, back in the day when we were just sort of like grazing in the forest in the jungle and picking fruits from the trees, because you know, we were all vegetarian. And, um, <laughs> right, and say there were a couple hundred of us out there and one on the fringe would start running, screaming, look out, look out, look out the wise thing to do was to run with that person, right? Because that person had identified a lion that was attacking the herd of humans, you know? So, like, fear is protective in a herd sort of sense. But I think, you know, in the first instance, that might be true, Uh, but ultimately, faith is the thing that protects the herd. There needs to be confidence, there needs to be stability, there needs to be leadership, there needs to be creativity, or the herd's gonna, gonna wander off a cliff So, I want this place to be a place where there's a contagion of faith, right? You walk in and you get infected with faith. It's really hard to be afraid at Blue Water Mission. It's just hard, right? You walk in here, it's hard. It's hard to drag your dejected self in here with all that energy and not feel a little bit of excitement. And then miracles can happen, you know? And let's say you're arguing about the vaccine, you don't know what to do, you've heard about all of these side effects and your reactions. Well, this is a place where people get healed of rejections from the vaccine, right? (laughs) Much better, much better, right? And we can't protect, we can't say that everything is gonna go really well uh, in your medical regimen, but God is gracious. Right? And we can, we can fix it, and there's a backstop. And I've talked too long about that, but you get the point, right? Here's the point, if you missed it. In the midst of our desperation, where has the faith been? In the midst of your desperate circumstances, in the midst of your challenges, in the midst of your anger, where's your faith? Because it needs to be there in a big way. You need to find excuses for faith in every situation in your life. Even if you find excuses for fear in that situation, you also need to find excuses for faith in that situation. Something really sucky is happening in your life, ask yourself all right, what's the excuse for faith here? What's the excuse for me to show some creative excitement, positivity, constructive faith? Because Lord knows I need it right now. All right, so this is a story today about someone who was able to find excuses for creative faith. in the midst of her desperation. From Matthew chapter 15, you can follow along on your iPhone Bibles. If you're really righteous, you'll have a physical Bible like me. And it'll be up on the big screen uh, behind me, I'm pretty sure. This is a story of uh, the Canaanite woman and Jesus. And Mark, she's identified as a Syrophoenician woman. Same thing. She had a sick little girl. She was in a dire medical situation. And, um, and she brought it to the Lord. So it would be Matthew 15, 21 through 28. I got glasses somewhere. So Jesus has just been in a whirlwind of ministry. He's recently fed the crowd of 5,000. He's running around the countryside, actually leaving the environs of Israel in order to get a break. He's trying to go on a retreat. But people are following him, and it's not working very well. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So he's like left Israel. He's like in foreign territory at this point. A Canaanite woman, a foreign woman from that area, uh, came from that vicinity to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Uh, So she's got some sort of terrible affliction, and they've discerned that there's a spiritual root to it. Her daughter is in really bad shape. Jesus did not answer a word. Ever brought a desperate situation to God and felt God say, Nothing? All right, now you know what the story's about. So his disciples came to him and urged him, like good Christian, compassionate disciples do, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us, right? They got offended. Anybody feel? Had any experience with offense, anger, in the midst of desperation recently? Anybody had that experience? Get her her out of here. Uh, We're on retreat. (laughs) He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I'll explain that in a second. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. She's doubling down. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. It's a great thing to say to a desperate woman crying over her daughter. Yes? All right. When you read a Bible story, always ask yourself, what bugs me about this story? Does that bug you? Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. That was awesome. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Like the story? Uh, cool story, we're in a sermon series on weird stories of faith, and I think this, t- to me, feels like a weird story of faith, right? There's a lot of weirdness in this story. Um, so Jesus is on retreat. This woman comes to him. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly. I have a little girl in terrible pain. Threat, danger, people are dying. Do something, Jesus. I've heard about you. The rumors have reached us here in Tyre and Sidon you need to help me. You're a miracle worker. Jesus doesn't say anything. There are a couple of reasons for that. I think just to skip ahead, Jesus is like at a certain point after healing hundreds of people, you know, boys need to rest. I mean, that's a legitimate concern. And so he's like every day he's saving uh, somebody from a desperate situation. So, you know, you could have some sympathy with Jesus on that, but he explains a little more fully later and said, "I I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. It's like, God has a plan on earth, right? And God's plan on earth was to insinuate himself into the human story using like this guy Abraham and his descendants and the Jews and sort of telling a story through them that was unique, that was in contrast to the story of the other peoples and their other religious systems. And Jesus doesn't want to confuse the contrasts. It may be we don't know for sure, but the reason that this poor little girl is so demon possessed is because that area of the world was really given over to demon worship and all sorts of violent circumstances, right? So, like, you know, he could have said, like, well, yeah, <laughs> right? That's the, that's the outcome of your lifestyle, and it afflicts the kids, you know, and and that's worth knowing, right? And so maybe maybe I don't need to jump in and rescue the situation, right? Maybe ultimately more lives will be saved if we kind of let this play out according to the agenda of the Lord. So his response isn't devoid of compassion, right? But there's a lot of discipline in it. We know that Jesus is a caring guy, and I think he's trying to honor the plan of the Father, which isn't bad, which isn't bad at all, right? And he's And he's trying to explain that first to his disciples, lest they get the wrong idea. Lest they get the idea that the woman is unimportant. He says, guys, I want you to understand what's going down here. The reason I'm not helping has to do with this Jews first policy that God has in order that over time more people would be rescued rather than fewer people. Are you following me? All right, so I think that's what's going on here. And the woman comes and kneels. And he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Jews call Gentiles dogs or doggies. It's actually a diminutive form of the word in the Greek. You know, he he wants her to understand, but he's saying it in a way that's quite bracing. I mean, you just have to face up to it. He says, you know, it's quite bracing. It's like, it's not time for you. You know, we're the the children of the story. And, um, you know, you're... You're on the outside, right? you're not part of the family uh, at this point. No uncertain terms. And she could have very well stormed off in anger, would you? Would you? If your kid was sick? And you're going to someone who could help, and they say, that's against policy. Anybody experienced anything like that over the past two years? Right? A good policy, you know, and there's nothing wrong with the policy in this case, but. There's a lot going on here is what I'm saying. And we could focus on that, but I don't think it's the heart of the story. What's the heart of the story? Well, it's the woman. It's the woman's response. So she kind of gets rejected, shut down, locked out, socially distanced. And Jesus essentially says, uh, you're a dog under the table maybe not as mean as it sounds but that's what he said and then she responds yes but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table you can still do it though even though i'm not a child even though i'm a dog even though i'm just you know gonna get crumbs i have faith that you can still do it she found an excuse for faith, even though the Lord Himself looked her in the face and said no, effectively, she's like, But I think there's actually a way to get to yes. Chinese. Chinese. <laughs> All right, that's your opening offer. Here's mine. Oh. Okay, you say no. I know that's a prelude to yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she had every exclu- excuse in the world for fear, every excuse in the world to be angry at the Lord Himself in this instance, right? Because this was her kid was suffering, right? You just imagine all the excuses she had. If she had stormed off, not a person in this room would have blamed her, right? Am I right? God himself said no. I simplify a little bit, but that's essentially what's going on here. And her response was, but faith. (laughs) But here's some faith. And then he was like, that is freaking awesome. Wow, that's amazing, he says. You have great faith. You have great faith. Nine times in the Gospels, Jesus makes a response like that. More often to people you wouldn't expect it from, to foreigners and Romans and you know people like that. It's like I didn't expect to find that kind of faith here. My gosh, if I had known that, hey, miracle for you, miracle for you, and the little girl gets better. You know, people uh, get really twisted around the axle where this story is concerned. But here's my understanding of it theologically. The point of life is for us to learn to trust God. The purpose of life is for us to turn that into ministry. Um, The point of life is to trust God. The point of life is faith. The whole story of Jews first and Gentiles later and all that was a design to get the whole world to faith. This woman jumped the queue, right? She says, well, I don't need that. I have faith now. I come to you. I come to you, Lord, with more than desperation. I come to you also with faith, and not just faith, but great faith. (laughs) Lightning strikes, miracle happens, model for life, Amen? amen? You following me? You get the point? How desperate are you? How desperate are you? How angry are you? That's how much faith you should have, and a little more, and then it would be truly great, and then nothing will stop you. Even a no from God, not necessarily permanent, (laughs) right? You see this on occasion in scripture, you know, you see this woman negotiate with the Lord, you see Moses negotiate with God and stuff like that. You know, what the Lord is looking for is faith, you know, looking for, shall we give it to him? What the person sitting next to you is looking for today, whether that person knows it or not, is faith. Shall you give it to that person? Shall you? Because you have excuses not to. I know you have excuses for fear. I know you have excuses for offense, don't you? I've given you plenty in my talk today. Right? How many of you are offended at me right now? I mean, just a little bit. Come on, you can admit it. All right. All right. Yeah, sure. But I've also given you an excuse for faith today. I've gone way out of my way to do it. Did you take it or not? Right? Certainly I'm not perfect. Every day I try to find excuses for faith because I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. I need to work at it. right? I'm dejected, not excited. right? That's, that's where my tendencies lie. What do you think? What do you think? Excuses for faith? Shall we live like that? Find an excuse for strength in your life and then exert the strength to apply it Jesus follower find an excuse for faith in your life and then apply strength follow through do it just think about that for a few seconds of the day you just got to figure out how to do faith that's the call of God on your life you know there are people that interpret the story of the Canaanite woman as well Jesus was just baiting her he knew he was gonna do the miracle all the time doesn't say that Jesus lived as a human I think sometimes he got surprised you know, but even if he was, the point was to provoke faith. Yeah. At the end of the day, you got to figure out how to do faith for everyone. That's um, the point of life: is to trust God, and as Paul said, nothing counts but faith expressing itself through loving deeds. Father God, I pray that you would perfect your agenda for every heart in this place today. That we would indeed find excuses for faith. And Jesus, our relationship with you is sometimes a little bit stormy. It's sometimes a little bit tense. Sometimes you don't give us what we need. It seems. But we have a communion with you, Lord. We have a relationship with you. We have a communion, a community with one another. And it's based on expectancy and excitement and faith that leads to action.